G.K. Chesterton said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Harry Ironside said, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. And the Apostle Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This morning we're going to be looking at the reasons that we ought to be grateful. As we see here in the text that Paul quotes, he says, in everything give thanks. Well, we could be here all day, so today we're actually going to be looking at just five reasons for us to be grateful that we find in Scripture clearly. What is meant by everything? And specifically, we're going to be looking at what is offered throughout Scripture. Number one, we are to be grateful for God's majesty. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3. Number two, we are to be grateful for God's providence. 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 24. Number three, we ought to be grateful for God's restoration. Nehemiah 12, 27 through 31. Uh, Number four, we ought to be grateful for God's provision. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. And number five, we ought to be grateful for God's people. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Let's start with number one, God's majesty. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3. says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Questions that are asked many times by success gurus are, what excites you? What are you most passionate about? Or what are you most grateful for? And usually when these questions are asked, they're asked in a manner that you ought to look inward for the answer. Well, David here looks outward. He looks outside of himself for what really matters. In fact, what the psalmist does here is call others to not look deeper into themselves for meaning, but to look to God, who is the rock of their salvation. Who's the one that rescues them in their present state and also into, in their eternal state as well? You see, one of the areas that's lacking in many churches is men who are as passionate as David is to sing before the Lord and coming before him with thanksgiving. Uh, I really find one of the things that I would like to encourage those of us that are men in the church to do is to sing when we have worship songs. Sing as we lead our families. It is a poor testimony to our children when we find them sing and our wives sing and we don't sing ourselves. And I know you're probably, those of us that don't sing are like, well, I don't have a great singing voice. God wasn't looking for America's Got Talent. God is looking for his saints to sing his praises. God is looking for his majesty to be lifted up in the church. And what ends up happening is because we have different personalities, say, well, I'm a little more introverted. I don't really, you know, I don't like to do this public thing. I'm more, I keep it more to myself. Well, if you're that type, realize that in a congregation, you don't have to be the loudest to still sing. If you're so fearful... Still sing out 
Because God's worthy of that praise. We're more passionate about other things, and we get louder at home than we do at church sometimes over what we're excited about. Now, sometimes we're excited about the wrong thing, right? When we're excited about what God's done in His majesty, it should bring that song to our heart, and we should sing it out before the Lord. We should never be embarrassed or ashamed of what God has done for us. And unfortunately, what ends up happening in many churches is many are ashamed of Christ. His name is not on their lips. He is not some priority that they bring before others. And unfortunately, a lot of Christianity has become a private thing. I'm going to keep it to myself. And David's going, no, I'm calling all of the congregation with me. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's be grateful for him and what he's done for us. His majesty is worthy of praise. What our heart's attitude today matters. So I want to ask this morning, as as you came in, were you looking to thank God for what he's done? Was that on your heart this morning as you came to church? Or was it just a typical Sunday, let me just hurry up, get my kids in the car, let's get ready, come on guys, we've got to go to church. David always saw the bigger picture. Which is why he makes a statement that I know you've heard many times, right? I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. It mattered to David that he came to worship. That is the greatest blessing in our lives is that we have God, church. The world doesn't have him. The world does not have the God of the universe that has their back. The world is trying to pull itself by its bootstraps and constantly failing. And what's unfortunate is many Christians join them and think that'll help. We have a God that is above all. It's majestic. What was your heart's attitude this morning before you came in? God's goodness and majesty is something that we are to be in awe over. It should stir our hearts. What's your attitude when it comes to singing in church? Ah, just avoid that part. That's not my thing. Let the worship band deal with that. God wants to hear the praises of his people. Church is not meant to be a concert. It's meant to be a congregational and congregational worship. Should be an offering of praise and thanksgiving to God for what he's done and who he is. Like I said earlier, God's not looking for perfect people to sing his praises. Else he wouldn't find anyone. A thankful people that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb ought to sing his praises. If God is great, why do we give him such an unworthy adoration of worship sometimes? Ask yourself this, and I'm not not saying that you need to be the hooting, hollering type of person that you see some churches are. But why is it that we get so excited over other things so much more than we do him many times? Why does God's majesty not excite us more? Why are we not more thrilled for who he is? Why are we not more thrilled that we've been granted salvation? 
We give others more effort in showing appreciation than we do him at times. When was the last time you went outside of your regular prayer life and thanked God for his majesty and his splendor and who he is? Beyond the thank you for this food, thank you for this day, the, the, you know, the staple state statements we make every single day. When was the last time you just stepped back and you're just blown away by God's majesty? We're truly a needy people, and we do need help. But why do we fail to realize how great God really is and that he is above all? Failing to be grateful for the majesty of God keeps our view of him very small. Do you know why you don't believe miracles can happen in your life or God can really do some things in your life? Is Your view of him is very small. It isn't as much splendor as it ought to be. Because to some of us, God is just a step above other people in our lives. He's not infinitely more valuable. To those that see and fail to see that this matters, their view of God will be utterly devoid of his absolute sovereignty in their life. You won't be blown away by how he works in your life. We'll always go back to relying on other gods because he's not greater in our eyes. Which is why Christians always cope with difficult things in their life by going to other idols. And those idols never satisfy. They don't even come close to alleviating the problems that we face. Which is one of the reasons why parents that view their children as idols are really setting themselves up for a major disappointment in life. When a parent elevates a child to idol status, they'll do everything for them, live their life through them. And when that child does not end up doing what they want, their world is shattered. Children are precious in the sight of God, but they are not to be replaced with him. And we need to be careful when we compare others to him. No man or woman on this earth can compare to the splendor and majesty of God. He is infinitely more valuable. If you only realized that God who created all things knows everything that is going on, all of the things that are going on in your life, and he's not stunned by it, shocked by it, thrown off by any of that, you would have a lot of reasons to be grateful. You and I should not be putting as much stock in man as we do. This is why it's important also to notice God's providence in our lives. Number two, we ought to be grateful for God's providence. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 24 says this, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? 
Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. David makes some striking statements here to simply recognize the providence of God in his life. We see that he thanks God for bringing him to this point in his life. Verses 18 through 21. And also for God's work in the past with the nation of Israel. In verses 22 through 24. David in thanksgiving is blown away by God's providence in his life. All that God's done in his life in bringing him to this point, David is thankful for. And if you were to be honest with what David's gone through when he makes this statement, you probably wouldn't like some of the encounters he's had. David has been chased by those he thought he was to be close with. People wanting to kill him because he was next in line to the throne. David himself grievously sins against God. And God still shows mercy to his line. God has promised to preserve the line of David through which Messiah would one day come. And David is blown away by all of that. It must be remembered that David had sinned greatly before the Lord and God was still merciful even in Disciplining him. One commentator makes a statement, sometimes life's greatest blessings flow out of its profoundest disappointments. Our willingness to do what little we can for him will be repaid many times over by the outpouring of his lavish and surprising acts of grace, both now and in the ages to come. You see, church, there's a reason that providence is something we ought to be grateful for. Because it comes from an all-knowing, all-knowing and powerful God who knows better than you and I do why we are where we are today. Why we've had to go through the things that we've gone through to be where we are today. Why we're still on this earth while others have passed. Why is he teaching us certain lessons that it seems others are not learning? Believer, if you're a child of God, you ought to thank him for his providence every day. All of these things that bring tension and feelings of doubt, hurt, despair, heartache, even thoughts of hopelessness. In the midst of these thoughts, remember that God is good and he is working all these things for our good to conform us to the image of Christ. 
His providential hand was working in the time of David. It is working today over the lives of his people. His providential hand has moved to restore what was lost in yours and my life. I want you to look back over your life, where you grew up, the family you came from, where you are today, and be in awe over how God's worked. It is not always easy to thank him for the hard things. In God's providence, he sends his own son to die on a cross. That looks like one of the most cruel things the world could ever do. But in doing so, he gives you and me life. The greatest act of violence against an innocent person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ... results in absolute blessing for his own. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's God's providence. You may not always like it. You may not always agree with it. But God's providence always has a purpose. And for that, we as a church ought to be thankful Number three, we ought to be thankful for God's restoration. In Nehemiah 12, 27 through 31, it says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Naphetites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Azmatheth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving Choirs. The city of Jerusalem was in ruins for over 150 years as Babylon decimated the temple, destroyed the city, carried people away into captivity. Nehemiah is called by God to rebuild the wall. He was used by God to restore the walls of Jerusalem in a matter of 52 days. Record time. As they completed the project, Jeremiah brings the Levites to come together for an incredible day of celebration. Such an incredible time for the nation of Israel that Nehemiah forms two large Thanksgiving choirs. We've all heard of the Christmas stuff, right? Like we have the Christmas tree choirs and Christmas this. Thanksgiving choirs. I think those should be formed more. How often do we bypass this holiday to get to Christmas? Thanksgiving kind of brings everything in, right? Like all the things we ought to be grateful for. And especially in their case, 
This was a rebuilding of the very thing that was decimated. This was the people of God being restored. This was a big deal. This was God telling the nation of Israel he wasn't done with them. And I want us to pause for a moment and think about this. How thankful are you for the broken pieces in your life that God's put together? How thankful are we that when we're going through difficult things that it seems like it's hopeless, it's not what we want to deal with? That God truly is behind the scenes working to piece us back together. To put those broken pieces back together. Are you finding God's promises something to be thankful for in your darkest moments? Just because we're not alone doesn't mean we don't feel alone sometimes. Is that not true? Just because we have the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us does not mean that we don't feel that way at times. And the reason we feel that way at times is many times our own fault. We've done something that has severed the fellowship that we ought to have with God. We've broken fellowship with him by not confessing sin, by not dealing with the things that he's called to our attention. There's another New Testament verbiage for this, quenching the spirit. The Holy Spirit's trying to say something to us, say, hey, you know what, you need to pay attention to this. This was pointed out, you need to pay attention. This is important for you to see in your life. We're like, nope, tune it out. I'm going to put my fingers in my ears and pretend I didn't hear any of that, spiritually speaking. Spurgeon once said, whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him in pieces first. So if you're on that side of the equation where you feel broken right now, you don't feel like you're together yet, realize that God's doing something behind the scenes. Realize that the restoring hand of God is always working in his children's lives. And some of us, it'll take a lot longer to restore than others. You may be put back together over a period of time that you never anticipated. But God promises to restore his children. He always delivers on that promise. I find one thing that we don't do enough as a church is thanking God for the restoration in our church context. Restoring a hunger for God's word. As a pastor, I'm more encouraged the more I see people in the church taking God's word more seriously personally. The key is not you hearing more and more from others. The key is you hearing more and more from God. I can get up here and give you a bunch of nice, cute, anecdotal stories and wonderful, encouraging TED Talk points, but nothing beats what God's Word says. Your encouragement should be found in Him. Not in yourself and in your performance. We know how bad that is many times, don't we? We ought to be thankful for restoring our view of education in this church. We ought to be thankful for what God's actually made clear to us 
that at times others have not seen us clearly. And you know what? This matters for our kids. This matters for their future. I don't know if you realize this, but the classical school model is a restoration of what used to be in America. And I don't think we're thankful enough for it. Restoring an old broken building. Realize how many times we've had to repair this place? God's faithful. Giving us the resources to keep up with it all. How about this one? Restoring us as broken people. How thankful are you that God has restored you? Nothing touches my heart as a pastor more than when I see a person that's been broken that God's been working on and they finally get it. They understand what it is that God's called them to and they understand why they had to go through what they go, go through to get to where they are. Restoration's a beautiful thing. Don't ever knock it, believer. Don't ever assume that only the testimonies that matter are the ones that are perfect. Paul the Apostle, who is a murderer of Christians, turns out to be one of the most faithful believers on this planet. Ends up being persecuted the very way he persecuted others. Tell me restoration doesn't matter. Peter denies the Lord Jesus. Denies knowing he knows him. Absolutely embarrasses himself in public is restored, preaches the boldest sermon everyone, anyone's ever preached, thousands are saved. Restoration matters, something to be thankful for. So when you're hurting and you're broken and you see brokenness in your life or in the lives of other people, realize that behind the scenes God is working to restore. And that's what we ought to be aiming for ourselves. In fact, one of the most disheartening things that we do as Christians is when someone's broken, we come in with a sledgehammer and break them down further. It ought not be, brethren. We ought to come alongside and say, you know what, I'm praying for you. I know you're hurting right now. I want you to know God's got so much better for you right now. There's a much greater purpose behind this than you and I can see, and I don't know what that is either. When we're going through the process of restoration, it's a difficult work. And believer, it takes real effort. You don't have everything just magically go back to where it needs to be. There's work involved. Else, the letters that Paul writes to the churches mean nothing. There's real work that needs to be done in restoration. Just like it did with Nehemiah and those that labored with him. There was work that needed to be done. They didn't get to come to the walls and say, God, I'm praying over these walls. I hope they work and they fix themselves. There was real labor that needed to be done. They needed to put their hands to work. And unfortunately, a lot of us as believers want God to magically move in the lives of others without putting any effort. Well, God, I'm praying for them. 
Maybe God's given you a way to help that person and you ignored that. There's so much to be grateful for when it comes to the restoring grace of God. In fact, David himself says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. How many Christians are joyful in the salvation God's given them? I got to tell you, I'm fascinated by churches. They might not have a lot of deep doctrine that they discuss, but man, they are so grateful they're saved all the time. They are so grateful for the salvation that's been given to them. For some of us, it's like we graduated from that. Yeah, you know, the gospel, that was like the first step. No, the gospel is to be our life and continually be a part of our life. The restoration God's given us should always give us more strength for every day. As scripture says, the renewed man, he's renewed every day. We should not just be grateful for restoration, but also for provision in our lives. Provision should come to mind as we're finding a reason to be grateful. Number four, God's provision. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul earlier in this book in this letter to the Corinthians, mentions that they had committed to giving to the saints in Jerusalem. In fact, they were very enthusiastic about it. But as so many times happens, the enthusiasm kind of wears off. And Paul's encouraging them to be ready with the gift that they had promised. Just with any of us many times, we get motivated to do something and the emotions run high... But the motivation goes away a short time later, does it not? I mean, let's, let's ask ourselves. There's a lot of things in our lives, right? Emotions run high in the beginning. That new job that we were so excited about. Man, this is the best job ever. I'm so glad I finally landed this. This is great. Give it some time. Not so great. Don't like it as much. I thought it would be perfect. It's not. Who would have thought? 
Excitement, high. Couple years in, low. Well, here's a dangerous one to bring up. Marriage. I can't wait to be married. Can't wait. I hate being single. Give me a married life, please. Excitement level high. We get married. Time passes. Time passes. The excitement level is lower and lower. The things we said we would willingly do, not so willing. The things we were so excited about, not so excited about. I can't wait to raise kids. Years pass, not so exciting. That's because, unfortunately, what we don't realize is a lot of the things that we do in this life are emotion-based without really thinking through the process. We don't think long-term enough sometimes. My favorite one, and I know I caught myself on this one with one of you in this church, well, when my kids are older, I won't have this struggle. I do. Forgive me, brother. I have the same struggle. It's amazing how quick we are to tell everybody we're going to do it better than they do, right? What Paul's getting at here in the, in the book of Corinthians here, when he's talking to these believers, he's saying, listen, you guys were enthusiastic to give this gift. Follow through on the commitment. In fact, your enthusiasm bled over to other churches wanting to give because they were like, wow, the church of Corinth is going to give. God get, Paul gets right to the importance of giving from a cheerful heart. And that cheerful heart is thankful for God's provision in their life. The goal of giving is not to be with guilt or pressure, but a willing heart that is filled with gratitude for the gospel and what God's provided them. God was the reason they were to be successful materially and out of giving that blessing that they've been given, God wouldn't continue to bless them. So many of us want God's blessing without being grateful for what he's already given. So many of us want things to change without changing what we've already done wrong. So many of us want God to turn things around while we keep doing what we've always done. God's grace is the gift that is beyond description. It's his gospel message that continually flows in the hearts of believers and causes thanksgiving in the lives of the saints, which leads to then give. The believers that understand what God has done for them at a very intimate, deep level do so because they understand the gospel. Those of us that are constantly disheartened, frustrated, flustered, we don't think God really means what he says, that he'll bless us if we do what he says. Our view of him is very different. And we're not as grateful for his provision. Most people give for different reasons. Some for very selfish reasons, give so I can get, right? God promises a blessing, so I will give. Some so they can be praised. I want my name on that placard. You know, give me this. Give me the nice award. Number one donor, right? 
That's what a lot of people in the church, in the schools, and, and literally business world do go for. But some give because they truly understand what they've been given by God. They don't do it because they want the accolades. They don't do it because they want everybody to notice. There are different types of giving, by the way, church. First one was what we call unplanned giving. Okay? It's the something moves us and stirs us, and we decide to give, right? Might be a video, a sermon, a person we see on the street, the sign really moved us, the touching music in the video we watched. And we're stirred to give, so we give. It's a stir of our emotions. There's nothing wrong with that. Definitely at times we should be moved by something that we see and fulfill that need. But there's another type of giving. It's called planned giving. This is the kind of giving that we commit to regularly, to some cause or purpose through the course of a year. Something that we diligently allocate to contribute what we can from what we have. In many cases, it's 10% for church, if you will. Example of this would have been what Paul is talking about here. Is to give as the church of Corinth and what they plan to give as a church. If you will, that would have been their faith promise, if you will, right? Supporting the saints in Jerusalem. But then there's a third type of giving that I don't think is mentioned enough in the church. What we would call costly giving. Something that goes beyond what is planned and doable, moving into the area of sacrifice. It costs you something. This isn't the five bucks you have left over you throw in. This is something that really is of value that is going to cost me quite a bit. This goes above and beyond what is the standard and what is truly costly. Example would be what God has done on our behalf. God gave the most valuable thing for us, his son. This wasn't an unplanned giving. It was planned, but it was beyond planned. It was costly. It was sacrificial. This would be also the example of the woman that broke the precious perfume before Jesus. It cost her something. This would be the widow who offered the two mites, which was truly a sacrifice for her, though rich people offered a lot more. Many people never get beyond the first one. Unplanned giving, which is why, you know, I'll give when I feel like it. Feel a little guilty today, I'll give today. I don't feel it next week, I won't give. Unplanned giving is typically what most people fall into. They don't have a plan to give. They never truly felt that it is a means that they need to. And they never will ever get to the sacrificial because they've never even worked through the planned giving portion. Being grateful for what God has given in his provision usually manifests itself in how easy it is for us to give away what he's given us. Stingy people are normally not all that thankful for what they've already been given. Even if they've been given more than enough. 
A stingy person may be given an amazing sum of money, and it's still not enough. If you're grateful for the provision of God in your life, it'll show up in the action, not just mere words. It isn't enough, church, for us to say, God, I thank you so much for what you've given me. And I'm going to hoard it all. I'm going to keep it to myself. Mine. The words of Lord of the Rings, my precious, right? It's going to show up in action, church, not just mere words of thank you for this day, for this food that we're eating, for the house that we live in, for this job that God's provided for us. It's going to show up in more than a mere thank you. It's going to show up in action that is done out of the thank you. If we're to be honest, sometimes our thank yous in this life are very empty words, are they not? It's just as empty as when we say I love you to somebody that we don't even show that to. Church, God deserves a lot more than a thank you for this provision while I hold on to everything you've given me. God deserves hands that are open to give back to him what's his. And you know what? Here's the reality, folks. When we hold on to what we have, God can't give us more because our hands are closed. When we openly give, God can give us more. And he's willing to do that for his children. In fact, those scriptures that I know we've quoted many times, given it will be given to you, those are truths that are exercised in real life. They're not hypotheticals that you and I can just dream about. God's provision is truly an incredible blessing that only gets diminished by an ungrateful heart. When we're ungrateful, it shows up in our actions. There's one more reason, though, that we're going to discuss this morning that we ought to be grateful, and that is people in our lives. Number five, God's people. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What an incredible statement here that's made in this text. I believe that it would revolutionize the way that we live our lives if we prayed the way Paul did for the saints here. 
prayed with thanksgiving to God for that. Paul himself says he does not stop giving thanks for the saints. Have you started giving thanks for something only to stop? Yeah, I was thankful for it once. Last year when they gave me a gift, I said thank you to God for them. Haven't done anything for me lately. I'm not thankful anymore. Paul continually thanks God for them. Imagine what the church would be like if we were continually thankful for one another. Instead of going to the Lord for all the complaints of how we feel and how that brother or sister always hurt us, we were thankful for them in our lives. Paul says that he does not stop giving thanks for the saints. Is that how you and I pray for others? Do we thank God for the saint that we see struggling? And realize that God's doing a work in their life. Do we thank God for what he's doing in other believers' lives? Have you ever been on the other end of a frustrating experience where you've seen a believer get a blessing that you wish you had? Like whether it is the increase in pay or they got the new car or their, you know, whatever it is that they got that you didn't get, that you really wanted. Did you thank God for the fact that he blessed them? Our world would be totally different as a church if we were more grateful for what God's done in other believers' lives, not just our own. Do we pray with anticipation of the sanctifying work of God in a saint's life? God, I know they're struggling. I've noticed it. But I'm thankful to see that you're working in their life. Father, please continue to work. That's essentially what Paul's praying here. He's praying for God's amazing power to work in their life. And he's so grateful for these saints. When God has revealed amazing truths to us, do we pray that he does the same for others? Or do we kind of have this like, well, thank you, God, for showing me. If only those other idiots would figure it out. Or do we thank God that he's worked that in our lives and that maybe he wants us to now help someone else? When our broken home has been restored, do we pray for others to be restored as well? Or do we look down in condemnation? Like not a single one of us has perfect lives. We all have fractures. There are chinks in all our armors, by the way. The question is, do you and I burst with gratitude for what God's done in our lives and not condemn another brother or sister who's not living what we're living right now because he's restored us? Do we thank God for those people and maybe see that, that as an opportunity to help them as well? Paul was not just thankful for the saints. He thanked the saints by actually offering of himself to them. Paul gave instruction from God himself to help those believers. It shouldn't just start and stop with us praying for somebody. A follow-through is important. 
When our finances are back on track, do we pray for wisdom in other people's lives? Do we continually thank God for other believers? In fact, in other texts in 1 Timothy, thanksgiving is to be offered on behalf of all people. You know that? All people. You mean I'm supposed to thank God for the leadership that we have in our government? Yes. You don't have to thank God for incompetence. You can thank God for the leadership he's placed over you. And thank God that he actually has a providential hand in all of it as well. He can take down anybody he wants to. He can lift anybody he wants to. Thank God for the people in your life, believer. God has used them for the time that you're in now. Why are we so ungrateful? Why do we forget to thank God for others while they're still living? One of the worst tragedies that we can have as human beings is to thank somebody when they've passed by sending them flowers. Why are we not thankful while they're still alive? You know what floors me, and I've got to be perfectly honest, this is kind of from the heart speaking as a pastor. The stuff people will say about somebody when they're dead compared to what they said before they were dead. Utter disgust before they, were, they, were, they had passed. Oh, beautiful, I love them. They were the most amazing person in my life. What hypocrisy. What a tragedy. Church, our hearts should break in realizing that God has put people in our lives that we ought to be thankful for, even the things that are hard sometimes to deal with. Because God has put up with a lot of us, too. And he knows full well we don't live it out. You know what's amazing? Is in the Gospels, Jesus thanks God for revealing certain things to his people. The very people that still do not live consistent lives before God. Unfortunately, how many of us have neglected to thank God for our parents, for our children, our spouse? Or maybe we have done it in the past, we just haven't done it recently. Church, can I encourage you as Thanksgiving rolls around that you make it a point, not just for that one day, but become more habitual in realizing that you have a lot to be grateful for. What you're so quick to complain about, other people were wanting. Some of us that were so ungrateful at first for why our parents were tough on us when we were growing up, we're grateful now. I used to think, man, my dad is so harsh and so cruel. Why is he making me do these things? Oh, it's forming discipline in my life. I'm raising boys. Totally makes sense now. It's very difficult to bother someone already grateful for you in their lives. Do you know, parents, that we can be grateful for our children that are astray as well? They're given to us by God. We have to stop forgetting these very important truths that we proclaim. 
I will say this, and I, and, I, and I say this transparently. Some of the most moving moments of my life have been when I've seen an argument between a brother or sister in the Lord, and then they find gratitude in each other after the conflict. They're so thankful that God actually made them go through it to come out where they were. What would change in our church if we were so grateful for one another rather than complaining? What would change in our church if we were so grateful for God giving us the opportunity to raise our kids? If we were so grateful for the school he's given us a part of, to be a part of? When the person you were thankful for before God hurts you, the offenses can be dealt with in a gracious manner. You and I would be able to tolerate a lot more in our lives if we were grateful for the people that even hurt us. Not that we're thankful for what they've done to us. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But we're thankful for how God's using that in our lives. And sometimes it comes from people we love and cherish most. In praying for others in the church, pray with a heart of thanksgiving before God for having them in your life. God has used others in your life to help you become the person you are today. Did you know that? I have a challenge for us as a church. Take the time to step back, look over your life, and go back and thank people specifically that God has used to bring you to where you are today. It could be a parent, it could be a teacher, it could be somebody in youth group when you were younger. Whoever it is, go back and thank them and thank God for them. Pray in thanksgiving. Even in the hurts that we encounter, the remedy is thanksgiving. Not bitterness, anger, abandonment. The remedy is thanksgiving. We don't have a desire for harm in being thankful, but by being thankful we can understand the greater purpose behind the pain that we face. Aren't you thankful that Jesus went through the cross for you? And what right do we have to complain over all the things that are done to us? He paid an infinite valuable price. And you're squabbling over that comment that one person made to you years ago? Church, let's be thankful for the people in our lives. So in conclusion, where's the lack in gratitude? Where's the lack in gratitude? Is the lack in gratitude a reminder of the majesty and glory of God? Do you no longer find yourself grateful for Him? Not just the stuff that he's given you. It starts with him. You won't see people the right way if you don't value him first. Because you're going to see people as a solution that he can only offer. When's the last time you look back over your life and thank God for his providence? Just specifically, God, I can't believe I'm where I am today. I remember those days of struggling financially, didn't know how we were going to make it, crying late at night because it's just impossible 
to deal with. Thank him for his providence. And if you're in the midst of the struggle and the battle right now, realize it's not over yet. The story hasn't finished yet in your life. God's still writing. Maybe you've been broken and devastated for some time. God's helping you pick up the pieces. Thank him for his restoring hand. Maybe as you're entering the holiday season, you really haven't been all that grateful for his provision. Because it's actually gotten harder for you. Financially, you've seen an uptick in anxiety in your life. It's just gotten more difficult. The bills are higher. Maybe the heart of gratitude isn't there because you think you need to hold on a lot more instead of letting go what God already wants you to let go of. You can't take what you have here with you, by the way. I know we have a hard time forgetting that. But you can invest what God has given you in the lives of others around you. That money spent on another brother or sister to help them in need is more valuable and precious than if you set aside for yourself. How grateful have you been for the people of God? Are you quick to complain in your prayers to God about them? Or do you thank him for them? We're quick many times to complain and slow to thank, aren't we? It's like it's hard for us to thank sometimes. Unfortunately, some of us complain in our prayers almost hoping for times of vengeance. Bringing a prayer of thanksgiving before God is what he desires. As we will one day be standing together with the saints before the throne of God. Thanking him forever. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We thank you.